92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. You're listening to the Rock and Roll Heaven Podcast with LD and TJ. Can you dig that, baby? Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD. Along with me for this ride, as always, is TJ. Welcome back. Oh, hey. Yeah, so last week, if you didn't know, Tracy finally was beaten down by whatever has been attacking her for the last two or three weeks, and I had to do an alternate episode with my husband. (laughs) This uh, allergy season has been a bear, to say the least. That's why I sound like I I have a cocaine problem. (laughs) Oh yeah, I still sound like death warmed over you actually sound it's it's kind of sexy kind of oh yeah it. yeah i feel like, like i kind of sound like almost a man but not like a hot man <laughs> like, oh you're a hot man to me so who are we going to be talking about today so today is a very special episode special episode Woo! for our new one of our new patrons carrie thanks carrie thank you carrie for for you guys who don't know we have a couple spots still left over so if you're one of the first few patreons to hop on the patreon train at the five dollar level you basically get to email us in three of your choices and we will pick one of those choices and either me or tj will cover that so this week is a patreon episode and next week is a patreon episode yeah. So if you want to get in, you can find us at uh, what is it? Patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. We're there. Yep. So if you want to get your own episode in or fast track it or let us know somebody who we might not have on our radar, let us know. Yeah. Jump in on that $5 level. Anyways, this is Carrie's episode. And it was really cool because as we let her know which person of hers we were going to cover within one of our other episodes like we were saying who we were covering next and so she caught on that we were covering him and and it was really sweet she wrote us a nice little email and explained like her connection with this person so i am very proud to do this story for her and hopefully i uh help you fill in some blanks there so we are covering roy clark I'm so excited because Roy <laughs> Clark was such a big part of my childhood with me and my grandmother. Roy Clark was born Roy Linwood Clark in Meharan, Virginia to Lillian Clark and Hester Clark. In I can't tell which one's the mom. Lillian. But Hester? Well, it's all... It's, I should say it was April 15th, 1933, like... It's an old-timey name. So <laughs> Hester, his dad, was originally a tobacco farmer. Obviously. Yes. <laughs> Your name's Hester in the 30s. You're yes. going to work in a tobacco field. Yes. Roy spent his childhood in Meharan and New York City. His father, even though he was originally a tobacco farmer, moved the family to New York to take jobs during the Great Depression. 
when Roy Clark was 11 years old, his family moved to Washington Highlands neighborhood of Washington, D.C. after his father found work at the Washington Navy Yard. So tobacco farmer to odd jobs to Navy Yard. Clark gained a love of all kinds of music early on. His mother played piano and his father was a semi-professional musician who played banjo, fiddle, and guitar in a square dance band and would often take Clark to see the National Symphony Ar- Orchestra and various military bands. Up until the point where you said orchestra, I was going to say that is the most country sentence we've had on this show yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he played. Did he play the mouth harp? <laughs> no. Banjo, fiddle, and guitar. <laughs> he maybe did. Not, not the violin. He maybe played the mouth harp, let's be honest. The, the juice harp. But but he played the fiddle, which is a completely different instrument than the violin. Yes. I don't know what makes them different, but apparently they are. Yes, they are. The first musical instrument that Clark ever played was a four-string cigar box with a ukulele neck attached to it, which he picked up in elementary school. After receiving a Sears Silvertone guitar as a Christmas gift when he was 14, Hester taught his son to play. Soon Clark was playing banjo, guitar, and mandolin, performing alongside his father in D.C. bars and clubs. Clark was very shy and turned to humor as a way of easing his timidity. Country-western music was widely ridiculed by Clark's schoolmates, leaving him socially isolated, and clowning around helped him to fit in again. Clark used that humor as a musician as well, and it was actually not until the mid-1960s that he felt confident enough to perform in public without using humor in his acts. Ignoring his schoolwork to simultaneously pursue both his music and sports career. Yes, you heard it. Sports careers. Careers. <laughs> careers. Uh. Yeah, he actually, he started first as a baseball player and then as a boxer. No joke. Boxer. Yeah. So essentially he was pursuing music and sports, ignored all his schoolwork and dropped out when he was 15. Yeah. Dropped out of school. So he was a young man. He, I mean, he was only in his mid-teens young man so i can't imagine him boxing it in 1988 wait what year was he born in again 33 so this is 48 yeah thereabouts so 47 48 so 40 years before you would know him yeah after dropping out of school he soon started touring with the likes of hank williams quoting roy clark guitar was my real love though clark later said i never copied anyone but I was certainly influenced by them, especially George Barnes. I just loved his swing style and tone. Clark won the National Banjo Championship in 1947 and 1948. Back to back? <laughs> what? It's so country. Well, yeah, he's a country guy. But there's a banjo championship also. Yes. Yeah, especially back then. People, you know, it was a thing. He won the national championships in 1947 and 1948 and then briefly toured with a band when he was just 15. As for his banjo style, Clark said in 1985, when I started playing, you didn't have many choices to follow and Earl Scruggs was both of them, which makes total sense. (laughs) Earl Scruggs is like the king of the banjo. The D.C. area had a number of country western music venues at the time. Duet acts were in favor and for his public performance debut clark teamed up with carl lucat lucat was the lead guitarist and clark supported him on rhythm and in 1949 at the age of 16 clark made his television debut on wttg in washington dc at 17 he dedicated himself solely to music so he gave up the boxing and the baseball and everything 
and made his first appearance on the Grand Ole Opry for having won his second national banjo title. By this time, he began to play the fiddle and 12-string guitar. He toured the country for the next 18 months playing backup guitar for David Stringbean Aikman, Annie Lou and Danny, Lonzo and Oscar, and Hal and Velma Smith during the week, working county fairs and small town theaters. On weekends, these acts usually teamed up with country music superstars like Red Foley or Ernest Tubb and played large venues in big cities. He earned $150 a week, which in 2018 dollars is $1,562 a week. Wow. Playing all these gigs if he were doing that in 2018. Wow. That's livable. That's that more is, than I make. That is, that's substantial. Yeah. After spending a year in Nashville, working exclusively in country music with Grand Ole Opry stars such as Grandpa Jones. Grandpa Jones. <laughs> Ernest Tubb and Red Foley. In 1951, Roy Clark returned to Washington, D.C., where his ever-growing reputation as a versatile musician and entertainer found him playing not only country, but pop, jazz, and early rock and roll. But that was kind of the landscape of music at the time, right? As you're slowly getting... Well, if you're Roy Clark, of, yes. Well, you're getting this like melting pot of different styles. Yeah. Yeah, you are. But there's still a distinction in the way that he was like playing. Like he, he wasn't trying to necessarily blend them. He was playing them separately. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To quote him, actually, he said, music was my salvation, the thing I loved most and did best. Whatever was fun, I'd go do that. My dad always told me, never turn your ear off to music until your heart hears it, because then you might hear something you like. Clark also found inspiration in other D.C. musicians. Quote, one of the things that influenced me growing up around Washington, D.C. in the 50s was that it had an awful lot of good musicians. And I used to go in and just steal them blind. I stole all their licks. It wasn't until years later that I found out that a lot of them used to cringe when I'd come in and say, oh, no, here comes that kid again. <laughs> but that's kind of how you learn. It, like, you imitate the masters. But what is it? Good artists copy, great artists steal? Is that the yeah line? Yeah, maybe. It's the Pablo Picasso quote is, good artists borrow, great artists steal, which is basically what it Yeah. Pretty Mr. Much. Clark was doing. Yeah. He's just like, all right, cool. I'm going to go in here and learn how to play this thing. He's still pretty young, though. How old is he at this point? Well, this is, there's no definitive time, but it's somewhere in the f early 50s. Yeah, so he's like. Because this was after he got back from Nashville. So between 1951 and 1954, in the 50s. So in his 20s. Early 50s. So he's only in his 20s. 20s-ish. 20-ish. Like is. almost 20. Okay. 20-ish. Yeah. So he is technically so he's still, still young kid. and he's still kind of learning, picking things up, you know. Yeah. Although a successful band leader on his own, in 1954, rising country music star Jimmy Dean, also known for his snossages, uh, asked Clark to join his band, the Texas Wildcats. Clark was the lead guitarist and made special appearances on Dean's Town and Country Time program on WA. R-L-A-M, and then on WMAL-TV after the show moved to television from radio in 1955. Those names just roll off the tongue, don't oh, they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were super fun to say. <laughs> I could see the struggle on your face. Oh, yeah. 
1956, Clark made his first network television appearance competing on Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scouts and came in second. That's pretty good. And that's if you That's like another thing is like Patsy did Oh yeah. the circuit and Roy was a Oh yeah. kid on TV like it seems like he's a little older than Patsy was when she first did her one you and know. She, he's a little older than Roy too but it seems like that that seems to be like kind of a, a tie-in with just about everybody we've covered like Karen did the contest circuit that's how they mm-hmm. got their record deal so I mean man it was a thing still a thing really Clark went and did this Arthur Godfrey's talent scouts thing but he's still playing with Jimmy Dean's band but Dean who valued punctuality among musicians in his band, fired Clark for habitual tardiness in 1957, commenting, Roy, you're going to be a big star someday, but right now I just can't afford you. (laughs) There's a lot of people out there that cite animosity between Clark and, and Dean, but as I'll have some other information and some other quotes later on that you'll learn that that's just not the case. Like, he just genuinely is like, dude, you're great, but I can't can't have you being late all the time. That's a bummer. Well, when you start doing certain things, like in some shows and like recordings and things, you can't afford people to be late. Right. Like, oh. you got to be there or you lose it. Also that same year, so we're in 1957, Roy is 23, not quite his birthday yet. At the age of 23, Clark also obtained his pilot certificate and then bought a 1953 Piper Tri-Pacer N1132C, which he flew for many years. This plane was eventually raffled off on December 17th of 2012 to a ben- to benefit the charity Wings of Hope. Which is incredible because isn't that kind of the same path as Chris Christofferson? There are similarities for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, he was, uh, he was really into airplanes and air- aeronautics. I have a lot of respect for anyone who, A, has the patience, and B, the courage to be a pilot. I'm too scared. Well, Roy loved planes. He would go on to own other planes throughout the years, including a Mitsubishi MU-2, Stearman PT-17, and Mitsubishi MU-300 Diamond 1A business jet. Now, are these like two-seaters, or are they more like a charter? Or I know they're not commercial. I mean, the business jet is probably a little bigger, but I couldn't tell you on the others. Yeah. If you guys know, let us know, because I... I'm sure most of them are a little smaller, Like but... Cessna, kind of? Yeah. Like smaller planes? We had the, we had a Cessna. I was helping my daddy build the Cessna. In subsequent years, and I'm sorry, it's kind of... This airplane part is a little jumbled together because I didn't have exact years on everything. But yeah, he would go on to then often fly himself to his own engagements with his planes. But one of his proudest moments was flying his plane in formation with the U.S. Navy's Blue Angels acrobatic team. And the Blue Angels are the best. I love them. They are awesome. I the mean, Blue Angels are excellent. I mean, here's the thing about the Blue Angels is when they do the Blue Angels broken formation... I will openly weep. You openly weep every week. Like when? <laughs> you want me to list it off? You're going to start crying now. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing you. I love you. I love you. We are in 19 something something. 19, we're in 1957. And in August of that year, 
Clark married Barbara Joyce Rupard, and they would stay married and have five children, and that's just sweet. Five kids, too. Well, it's the 50s. Yeah, I know. It's still normal back then. Still a lot of kids. Yeah. In the spring of 1959, Clark appeared regularly on George Hamilton IV's short-lived television series in Washington, D.C. At this point, Clark decided to leave D.C., during his D.C. years, Clark said he never intended to be a country guitarist. Sorry. Rather, he played when he liked and what made him feel good and never intended to begin a recording career or to perform on television. Well, you screwed that, Pooch, Clark, if you never intended to do those things, because you did. <laughs> and you did them good. In 1960, age 27 and out of work, Clark went out to Las Vegas, where he worked as a guitarist in a band led by former West Coast Western swing band leader slash comedian Hank Penny. That was a really hard <laughs> sentence to say. <laughs> you made it through so good, But I though. made it. I did it good. Yay. When Rockabilly star Wanda Jackson's offer for him to front the band known as the Party Timers for a new show she was opening at the Golden Nugget, it was a turning point in Clark's career. Fighting a chronic lack of self-confidence, the following years saw Roy work diligently as he developed his unique standalone talent as a multi-instrumentalist, singer, and comic. I put some really hard sentences in this, but I am proud of myself for most of it. Like, I've only had to redo a few of them. Roy Clark says, I learned comedy as a self-defense mechanism. I had to be the first one to laugh at me. I didn't want to sing or play something serious and have someone in the audience laugh. So I would play something serious, and then I'd make a wisecrack. He also ended up playing backup instrumentals for several of Wanda's Jackson's recordings. So just a little <laughs> side side fact that that also happened. Through Jackson, Clark met Jackson's manager, Jim Halsey, and signed with the Halsey Agency, which represented him for the remainder of his career. So this is like, when I say this is a turning point, it's like the big thing. He's been kind of struggling. He's been succeeding, but... More as a semi-pro, like he's doing all this stuff, but he really hasn't made a, his break yet. And here's kind of where it starts. And he's in Vegas at this point, he's right? In Vegas he's still now. in Vegas. Yep, he's in Vegas playing with Wanda. You know, he is and playing other shows and headline, starting to headline more and making a bigger impact. Yeah, but it's it it almost seems like he's really well traveled. As a musician, because he's been to New York, he's been to D.C., he's been to Nashville, and now he's in Vegas. Mm -hmm. Like, he seems to have kind of almost moved with the times. Well, and then he toured the country a few times, too. Yeah. Like, it's a th whole thing for him. Which I just find so amusing, because he never intended to do it. He just ended up doing it. Well, God had a plan. Like, yeah. He just followed opportunity, which is great. I mean, that's what you do sometimes. Clark's backup work for Jackson also brought him to the attention of Capitol Records. He signed with Capitol and in 1962 released his first solo album, The Lightning Fingers of Roy Clark. The album won solid critical praise and above average, quote, notice from fans. During Jack Parr's temporary absence from The Tonight Show in 1962, Jimmy Dean was asked to guest host the program. Dean asked Clark to appear on the last night of his guest host stint and showcase Clark in two songs. So this is again where Dean kind of supported Clark again, you know, so it supports makes it, him. So it makes that, that idea that he 
And him had beef kind of null. Yeah, it's just not a thing, guys. So to kind of reiterate on the Dean and Clark relationship, um, Clark recalled, I was performing at a club in Arizona and I got a call on Wednesday from Jimmy asking me to be in New York on Friday to appear on The Tonight Show. Of all the people in my life, Jimmy Dean is the one who has done me the most good. While people think we didn't get along, we never had a crossword. His asking me to appear on The Tonight Show was a fastball right down the middle in terms of like his career. Because then this launches, not only does he have an album that's doing well, but now he's been featured on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Dean. And then this leads to, this kind of kicks off a big start for him. Along with the recording, he ends up doing a lot more television. Which he didn't intend on doing at all. No, no, not at all. (sighs) With his first national television exposure and Capitol recordings enjoying significant airplay, people in the industry were talking about Roy Clark. Although signed with Capitol as an instrumentalist, record company executives recognized Roy's ability as a serious vocalist and with quote, every musician in the state of California as part of the session produced Clark's first hit vocal recording, The Tips of My Fingers. This is quoting Roy Clark. We didn't call it a crossover or quoting somebody. I don't know who it's quoting. The article that I took it from (laughs) did not say who it's quoting, but it's quoting somebody. (laughs) We didn't call it a crossover hit back then, but I guess that's what it was. We didn't aim for that because if you aim for both sides, you miss them both. We just wanted the song and my performance of it to be believable. So it was it was Roy Clark. The Tips of My Fingers peaked at number 10 on the country chart and number 45 on the pop chart. So pretty good one. Clark's subsequent singles on Capitol did not repeat this success, but the label gave him the freedom to record a wide array of albums featuring his vocal, guitar, and banjo skills. Which is interesting that he would give him that kind of freedom, and yet other... It seems like other artists were kind of stymied by their label to kind of pigeonhole them into doing this one thing. Well, because he did so much and he was good at all of it. So they maybe just let him have some free reign so that they could find the next tips of my fingers. But not not to to keep hearkening back to it. But Patsy was steered in that direction. Like they 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 forced her into that career. They're like, no, you want to do this? No, you're going to do this. But part of that is what comes next with all the television appearances, maybe. Because on the tale of Tips of My Fingers, Clark made his first solo debut on The Tonight Show, not with Dean, in January of 1963, which kick-started a string of television appearances and led to a thriving career. So his initial appearances with with Jimmy Dean coming with his recent release of his record... And then the tips of my fingers came probably shortly after his solo debut, probably to debut the single. So, so it was kind of, he was sort of saturating the market. Yeah. So now he's going to start making a ton of television appearances because in the mid 1960s, he was a co-host along with Molly B and Rusty Draper of a weekday daytime country variety series for NBC entitled Swingin' Country, which was canceled after two seasons. In 1967, on an episode of the Jackie Gleason show dedicated to country music, Clark played a blistering rendition of Down Home. 
Subsequently, Clark appeared on the Beverly Hillbillies from 1968 to 1969 as a recurring character, actually two, because he played businessman Roy Halsey and Roy's mother Myrtle. (laughs) (laughs) I do have vague recollections of him dressing in drag. (laughs) Yeah, to play Myrtle. So during this time that he's doing all these television appearances and he's making records and all this stuff, he's still in Vegas and he's becoming he became a headliner in Vegas and he made numerous appearances there in the 60s and 70s so he's like doing a whole lot a consummate musician no matter what the genre because we mentioned before he does jazz country pop like everything rock and roll he does it all roy starred with petula clark at caesar's palace Became the first country artist to headline at the Montreux International Jazz Festival and appeared in London on the Tom Jones Show. That is, that's actually really, knowing as much as I did about Roy, I I didn't realize that he was so prolific and that his reach was so great that he was even doing things in London and, and in the 60s when there was a rejection of all things traditional, Mm -hmm. he is by all accounts a very traditional artist oh yeah and so it's interesting that he could still make waves even that that far away well you think that's good just i got a whole bunch more for you <laughs> but with all of this it was an innocuous meeting with two canadian television producers during a guest appearance on the jonathan winters show which would ultimately define clark's identity to generations yet to come do you guess where I'm getting at? Oh, I think I know where this I is going. I know where this is going. Also, I feel like everybody had a show. Like Petula Clark, she had her own show. Jonathan Winters had his own show. Yep. Like everybody. So Tom Jones show. Tom Jones show. Yep. So quoting Roy Clark. In September of 1968, John Aylesworth and Frank Pippia approached me with an idea for a show that was like a country field laughing, slapstick comedy, and some good country music. In this business, you say yes to everything. So I said, of course. In January of 1969, my manager, Jim Halsey, called me and said, they're getting ready to do that show. I said, what show? <laughs> he said, It's obvious they'll come up with a better title when it's time to do the show, but for now, they're calling it Hee Haw. (laughs) The show had, I'd forgotten. So much. So to finish the quote, (laughs) the show I'd forgotten I agreed to do went on the air in June of 1969, and the rest is history. So he forgot that he agreed to do this show because he was so busy doing other things. (laughs) Oh man, Hee Haw was great. I mean, Minnie Pearl was like my patron saint and they would do these almost like it was almost like a country version of laughing and I think you could still see episodes like eight on YouTube but I think that Nick at Night might rerun them as well I'm but sure you got it's a, still in reruns you got a little bit I of have something. more on it yeah yeah you got a little bit of something in all the episodes so you get like the skits you'd get songs they would have people like Reba McIntyre and all, all like all these country greats oh, yeah. come on the show, but then you'd also get a gospel song, and that was my grandmother's favorite part was when they do the gospel song. Yep, Roy Clark was in the gospel band on the show too. And um, I guess you guys have already probably figured out pretty early on in the show we started uh, adding the songs 
like a, a famous song by the artist at the end of the episode. But if you listen past the Roy Clark song that I'll be playing at the end, you will hear a beautiful rendition of one of the highlights of Hee Haw from me and my friend Tim that we did. <laughs> <laughs> I heard it. It's lovely, folks. It's not. Well, just make them believe it. <laughs> so more on so obviously i'm going to talk about hee-haw for a minute settle in folks based on their success with rural comedies such as the beverly hillbillies and green acres which oh my god i love green acres oh my i love the beverly hillbillies green acres and petticoat junction shh, i love those they're great see i also loved they're like sister shows so they're awesome i love dallas and i love dynasty like those and murder she wrote that was like the 80s for me <laughs> well i mean obviously they weren't still on when i was watching them they were reruns but i loved them and actually fun fact my mom wanted to name me bobby joe after one of the sisters in petticoat junction <laughs> and my dad vetoed that because it was way too country so now she has a dog named bobby joe you want to know what my mom wanted to name me true story my mom wanted to name me chanel like Coco Chanel. We would not be friends. <laughs> but I don't think we'd be friends if my name was Bobby Joe either. When CBS had a falling out with the Smothers Brothers and needed a mid-season replacement in June of 1969, they gave the little donkey a chance and hee-haw made its network television debut and Clark and Buck Owens became the hosts of syndicated sketch comedy program Hee-haw. Despite its high ratings, CBS canceled Hee Haw along with its other rural comedies in 1971 as part of an effort to make their image more urbane. Moving into syndication without missing an episode, Hee Haw went on until 1997 with nearly 400 episodes, making it the longest-running weekly syndicated series in history. So they canceled it, but apparently it didn't stick. I don't think it's been out of syndication since it was created. No, it's, it's still rerunning. It still reruns now, so... But it, they're not, there isn't new episodes. Right. Right. It propelled Clark to stardom with a 30 million viewership. 30 million people. Go figure. He became a huge star. During his tenure, Clark was a member of the Million Dollar Band and participated in a host of comedy sketches. On Hee Haw, Clark enjoyed doing comedy as well, especially the cornfield bits he did with junior samples who repeatedly stumbled over, quote, big words. <laughs> They'd count it down and we'd do it. Clark recalled. He'd blow it, and it was hilarious. In 2016, Clark told NPR's Weekend Edition that hee-haw was something that many Americans could relate to, regardless of local culture, and even as network executives and critics derided the show. To quote, I was just in New York City, he said. I was walking down the street, and the guy yells across and says, Hey, Roy, I'm a pickin'. Well, I'm obligated to say, Well, I'm, I'm a grinnin'. grinnin'. The show also helped make pop culture stars out of the likes of Merle Haggard, Loretta Lynn, and Tammy Wynette. Moreover, the show helped make country music into a mainstream phenomenon, as Clark wrote for the Huffington Post in 2015. First and foremost, I am proud of how Hee Haw did its part to help pave the way for country music to burst from its regional roots to remarkable worldwide popularity. So that's all I have on Hee Haw. I'm going to not so subtly shift gears. Because that's how it happened. But I want to talk about hee-haw more. Well, I don't have anything else on hee-haw. <sighs> Moving from Capitol to Dot Records, Clark bounced back with 1969's Yesterday When I Was Young. 
not like he really needed to bounce back. Like the move to Dot Records from Capital happened at the very beginning of Hee Haw. So go back to the beginning of that and all this. Like a lot of this takes place at the same time as Hee Haw because. So would you say this was pre Haw? You make fun of me for making those puns. But yes, it's pre Haw. Not really. It's the same time as Hee Haw. So it's kind of tough because some of this is going to overlap with the time on Hee Haw. Because remember, Hee Haw is running from 1969 until 1997. So anything that I talk about between that time period is overlapping with Hee Haw and that massive success. So at this time, he's at Dot Records. And the reason I say he bounced back in his music career was because his capital stuff wasn't doing that great until... Now, <laughs> 1969's Yesterday When I Was Young became a number nine country hit that crossed over to number 19 on the pop charts. Subsequent top 10 country hits included I Never Picked Cotton, Thank God and Greyhound, The Lawrence Welk Hee Haw Counter Revolution Polka. <laughs> and then he got a number one hit, his only, I think it was his only or at least his first number one with the song come live with me then he also had somewhere between love and tomorrow honeymoon feeling and if i had to do it over again he continued through the 1980s so that was all the 1970s apparently the switch to dot was a good good one for him and it didn't hurt that he was on hee-haw to help i also wonder if they they being dot records made him a little bit more focused as opposed to playing this, playing that, playing all the different instruments and not really having a focus on genre. I wonder if they kind of pared it down and said, here's a little bit more focus. It could be that because it is more country focused, but it also could be just his own focus on that at the time or the hee-haw popularity and kind of working with that within that realm too. So not really sure what exactly drove all of a sudden that huge popularity? I mean, hee haw doesn't hurt because that's a lot of people watching. Yeah. So, you know. I don't think that you could pull down the numbers that hee haw pulled down now. No. Because of, you know, so many different platforms, so many different time slots, the availability of the media now. Right. You're not, unless it's a major news event, I don't think you could pull those numbers anymore. Probably not. I don't know. Or if your show has dragons. Yeah. <laughs> that could be. He continued through the 1980s on ABC, Dot, ABC, MCA, and other imprints. And various labels have released his live and studio albums into the 21st century, charting 52 singles over the course of his career. Holy cow. That's a lot of singles. Yeah. On charts. Like, that's just the ones that charted. Like, a lot of... People can release a lot of singles, but those are just the ones that charted. By the early 1970s, go figure, this this is a dumb moment. But by the early 1970s, Clark was the highest paid country music star in the United States, earning $7 million. That's in the 70s. So that's $45,200,000 in 2018 dollars. Holy cow. Per year. Wow. Per year. Oof. In the early 70s. I'd be okay with that. So $45.2 million per year if that was today. Yeah, I could be all right with that. He had been named Entertainer of the Year three times by the Academy of Country Music and the Country Music Association. During the 1970s, 
Clark frequently guest hosted for Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show. And in 1975, he appeared in an episode of The Odd Couple where he played the song Malagueña, which is actually pretty famous, this this performance. <laughs> it's all over YouTube. Clark became something of an ambassador for country music, not just in the U.S., but internationally. Remember, I mentioned that he'd gone to London and all this stuff, but this was the, oh, wait, it gets better moment. In 1976, he appeared appeared in a groundbreaking tour in the Soviet Union. What? Yep. During the Cold War? In 1976. Is that during the Cold War? I think it was heating up, I think. Yeah. So he's performing in the USSR in ostensibly the middle of the Cold War. Mm -hmm. That's almost like today's equivalent of Dennis Rodman going to North Korea. Mm -hmm. So he recounts on this... After hosting a delegation of Soviets in Las Vegas, they casually commented, you'll have to come and visit our country. One thing led to another, and we found ourselves planning a concert tour of the Soviet Union. What an experience. We did 18 concerts to sold-out audiences. A very skillful interpreter made sense of my country slang, but when it came to the music, it was more about the feeling I was projecting. Although they may not have understood a single word of yesterday when I was young, you could see in the faces of the audience that they knew and understood the feeling of the song. The whole purpose of the tour was to bring people together. I believe the problems of this world can be solved by the people of this world. This is the only world we've got, and we have to learn to live in it together. That tour proved to me more... Oh, sorry. That tour proved to me that people are people no matter where they live. He's like the Russian David Hasselhoff. Following the tour, the U.S. State Department praised Clark for opening diplomatic doors, which had been tightly closed for decades, commenting, we had done more good than we will ever realize in our lifetimes. The CMA also named him an international friendship ambassador. So big deal that he's doing this, guys. This is like, that's the, it's just a cool thing. It's just a cool thing he did. Just like David Hasselhoff. I don't care about fucking David Hasselhoff. <laughs> Despite his time in D.C., Vegas, and Hollywood, Clark made his home with Barbara, remember his beautiful wife, and their five children in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1976, where Roy Clark Elementary School was named in his honor in 1978. Did it happen to say where Hee Haw was filmed, or did they give him, like, the freedom to travel? I don't actually know where Hee Haw is filmed, but remember, he flies his own planes. Fair enough. Well, there you go. The series was shot in blocks. Performers would gather for a week of taping in June and another in October with individual shows edited together later. Roy Clark compared the block scheduling to a big family reunion twice a year. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, I think it was filmed in Nashville. In Nashville, yeah, it, at the current Opry House. Yeah. So they filmed it in Nashville because it's right there. Yeah. They're all there a lot of the time. Yeah. Because in case you didn't know, Nashville is like country music mecca. With a total of seven nominations throughout his career, Clark's recording of Alabama Jubilee was his only win in 1982. I'm sorry. It was technically eight nominations and one win confirmed via the Grammy.com website. An astute businessman, in addition to his investments in everything from real estate to cattle to professional sports teams, Roy Clark opened the Roy Clark Celebrity Theater in Branson, Missouri in 1983, turning the quaint Ozark town into a mecca of live musical performance through a steady stream of legendary performers, because, you know, he has access to all of them via Hee Haw and 
his own musical career. Come on. It became the first venue linked permanently to a widely known entertainer in the resort town. Clark frequently played in Branson during the 1980s and 1990s, but he sold the venue, which is now owned by the Hughes Brothers and renamed the Hughes American Family Theater, and went back to a light touring schedule, which usually included a performance with Ramona Jones and the Jones Family Band at their annual tribute to the Clark's former Hee Haw co-star, Grandpa Jones, in Mountain View, Arkansas. On August 22nd, of 1987, Clark was made a member of the Grand Ole Opry, finally. Because his debut was early on, in the 40s. Little so only known. 40 years later, they finally inducted him. Little known fact, I've actually stood on the spot at the Grand Ole Opry. A lot of people. I didn't get to stand on the spot. But I did, I actually have a picture of me, and they turned on one spotlight, so that I, my mom, I'm sure my mom I has. know, it's the into the circle thing. Trust me, I know. I've dreamt of it my entire life, so keep talking about it. No. Yeah, I got to I got to stand in it when I was 15 years old. Yeah, that's bully for you. <laughs> I've never seen you, like, jealous or angry. <laughs> I'll try to find the photo. All right. He played an annual benefit concert at Longwood University in Farmville, Virginia, the proceeds of which went to fund scholarships for aspiring musicians. And he's again, quite the, like that's he's quite the giver backer, this guy. You know, I love it when an artist gets behind something like River did, mm-hmm. you know, and or foundations spring up because of them. And it's like that that piece of good. But Roy seems like from the beginning, like from the get go, he was like a good dude. Yeah. And so that makes me really happy that that. Well, I have a nice you know. quote later that that's kind of like was his whole thing throughout it all was just be a good person. <laughs> like. I love that. Be good and to be respected, you know, earn your respect. Clark returned to the Soviet Union in 1988 after the fall of the Iron Curtain, where he was hailed as a hero. He recalls, our 1988 friendship tour was prompted by an invitation from Premier Gorbachev himself. We could immediately see a difference in the people from our previous visit. They were talking to each other and to us. It was amazing. I've done... An awful lot of things in my career, but our trips to the Soviet Union and Russia and the impact they had are the absolute highlights. Love this guy. This was fun. This was fun to find out more. Carrie, I hope you're enjoying finding out more about this guy. Well, he was first and foremost a country artist, and we've said this a couple times now. As I mentioned earlier several times, you know, Roy Clark spanned musical genres, jazz being one of them. So his... um, performance in at the Montreux Jazz Festival that I mentioned was somewhere around 1994. At this time, he also recorded an album with the jazz artist Joe Pass. So he's been on albums beyond just country. So if you're looking for stuff, there's actually some really cool links and I'm going to post them on our Facebook page. I'll post one probably leading into the episode and then some following the episode just so that you can that have some really cool video clips of some of his key performances through the years. In 2007, he was inducted into the Cheyenne Frontier Days Hall of Fame. In 2009, he was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. And on April 12, 2011, Clark was honored by the Oklahoma House of Representatives. He was honored by the Oklahoma Music Hall of Fame as Oklahoma's Music Ambassador for Children and presented with a commendation from Oklahoma Governor Mary Fallon. Oklahoma? Oklahoma. 
Oklahoma. In case you weren't sure where all this took place. Where where did it take place? I'm having It a was hard in time. Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Oklahoma where, where the, the winds come whipping down the plains. That's all I know. All right. <laughs> Roy Clark states, I've always been connected with children because I'm basically still a kid at heart. Nothing matches the pride I feel when someone comes up to me and says, I went to the Roy Clark school. It doesn't get much better than that. So to be clear, his commendation for the music ambassador and everything is in line with the school that was named in his honor in his home in Tulsa and a music program that he had created for the kids. For more than 50 years, he pursued a middle-of-the-road musical approach offering audiences an accessible country sound applied to country songs, pop standards, bluegrass tunes, movie themes, gospel favorites, and jazz numbers. As a philanthropist, Clark made major contributions to such institutions as Children's Medical Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the Hollenbeck Youth Center in Los Angeles. He is also memorialized in the Roy Clark Emergency Treatment Center in Farmville, Virginia, and the Roy Clark Wing of St. Jude Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. Roy Clark's decade-defying success can be summed up in one word, sincerity. Though he's never bought a joke and doesn't read music, the self-described and proud of it, hillbilly singer is that rare entertainer with popularity worthy of his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Bob Hope summed it up when he told Roy, your face is like a fireplace. That special warmth that Roy shares with his audience is, however, only a glimpse of the man himself. In a profession where success is often at the expense of family, Roy Clark was married to his loving and supportive wife, Barbara, for roughly 60 years. Let that sink in for just a second. There's a, yeah, like I I know it's an odd sentence to include, but... No, but that shows you what kind of man he but was. But it a man of... Because that, that doesn't happen in music anymore. Not that you hear of, but 60 years. Mm-hmm. Roughly, give or... Yeah. I mean, even even if it was 55, that's still... Well, it was closer to 60. It may have been a couple years more. Roy Clark died on November 15th, 2018, at the age of 85, at his Tulsa home due to complications of pneumonia. For a man who did not taste major success until he was 30, Roy's amazing career was not part of some grand plan, but rather taking everything in its own time. To quote, I had dreams of being a star when I was 18. I could have pushed it, but it wouldn't have happened any sooner. I'm lucky. What's happened has happened in spite of me. The man who took the best from an impoverished background and developed an innate God-given talent into international superstardom remained humble and sincerely grateful for his success and his fans. To quote, I guess I could have done a lot more, but I realize and rationalize but you can't do everything. For me, the most important thing is pleasing my audience. If you're a bad person, people pick that up. I'm a firm believer in smiles. I used to believe that everything had to be a belly laugh, but I've come to realize that a real sincere smile is mighty powerful. So my research kind of came from a few places. There, obviously, Wikipedia, IMDb, all that. Um, an amazing, amazing, amazing write-up by the American Banjo Museum sourced a lot of the quotes and more personal stories that I was able to find. He did publish an autobiography called My Life in Spite of Myself in 1994. It is out of print, but you can find a couple used copies here and there. I found a place 
also even to rent it like library style online. But unfortunately, it wasn't I didn't have time to read it. But I really wish I would have been able to. And who knows? I still might. But much more to the story than I realized. Yeah, that was that was such a good episode. Thank you. Carrie, I hope you enjoyed it because I was struggling with this research quite a bit until we got your wonderful email and it kind of reignited a little bit of the flame there because I was I was really, really struggling. And you being so excited that we were doing it and so sharing of your own personal stories and how and why you wanted to know more about him really kind of it it had an effect and it definitely encouraged me to keep digging and I hope that I was able to do him justice for you. I think you did a great job. I thank think you. I think that was really good. So thank you very much Carrie for your patronage. I appreciate it and for the the suggestion of doing him sooner than later. Yeah. I I I think it's really funny with our Patreon episodes that we kind of fall in love. Yeah. With we enjoy doing them. Honestly, because but we we both got sometimes people on our radar, but not in the direct radar. Like yeah, but but the thing is, is is that you didn't know much about Roy, and I didn't know much about Chris. And by the end of it, we were like, I need to know more. I need to yeah. listen to his music. So we do that quite a bit with yeah. these. Though. <laughs> yeah, though, like we'll research somebody and be like, okay, like I knew I liked this, but dang, all right. It's a, a whole Pandora's box yeah. of, of stuff. And next week's episode, I, I actually don't want to say who it is. I kind of want to keep it. Keep it a secret. Keep it a secret. And You did already mention it like at the beginning of the episode, didn't you? I don't think I did. Oh, no. You mentioned that it's another Patreon episode. Yes. So I don't want to say who it is. So speaking of our Patreon episode, we still do have a couple extra spots for anyone who would like to get at the $5 level to get your own episode up, um, we love interacting with you guys. So if you want to donate to the show, you can do that at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. You can find us on Twitter at rock and roll LT. You can find us on Facebook at rock and roll heaven pod. Our Instagram is rock and roll heaven LT. Still not going to say our website, but we're getting really close. We're getting really close to actually being able to have a real name for our website. So. Yeah. And if you guys want to email us, you can do so at rockandrollheavenlt at gmail.com. A couple of announcements. I actually stopped doing the Spotify playlist because we had like 14 followers and it was taking up a lot of space on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it took up unnecessary time where I could be doing more research on a subject. So sorry to say for now, the Spotify playlist is down, uh, but maybe one day we'll bring it back if there's any kind of you know need for it i also feel like you can just search the artist and hit play yeah (laughs) i was trying to think of ways that we can engage an audience oh yeah you know here like maybe some yeah we'll figure it out yeah figure out how to figure out something going we also still have our contest going for best comment and review like our ratings and review on itunes so if you could please head over and give us a rating and a review, it really helps us out. Um, anything else? Not for oh, me. Oh, well, the I should say the contest that we're running is for the best rating and review on iTunes. If you leave us a rating and a review, 
we will send you a copy of your favorite episodes show notes and that'll be signed by me and TJ. We are we don't have a definite end date for that, so let them pile in, but if you could just take a couple of seconds to give us a rating and a review, that would help us out immensely. It also helps make the show better. Engage with us both on, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's still us. It's yep. just us. Always us. Always us. Okay, so so thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of Rock and Roll Heaven. Make sure to check out our episode next week. We also have a short set coming out, I think, in the next two weeks. So something there's like that, that, something like that. Um, it's very Soon. late in the night. I'm very tired. So both. I'm going to say thank you. We love you guys. Keep rocking in the free world. TJ, will you tuck me in? Yeah, let's not, let's go night-night. I want to go night-night. Okay. 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 Bye. Seems the love I've known has always been the most destructive kind. Guess that's why now I feel so old before my time. Yesterday, when I was young, the taste of life was sweet. As rain upon my tongue, I teased at life as if it were a foolish game. The way the evening breeze may tease a candle flame. The thousand dreams I dreamed, the splendid things I planned, I always built to last on weakened shifting sand. I live by night and shun the naked light of day. And only now I see how the years ran away. Yesterday, when I was young, so many happy songs were waiting to be sung. So many wild pleasures lay in store for me, and so much pain my dazzled eyes refused to see. I ran so fast that time and youth at last ran out. I never stopped to think what life was all about. And every conversation I can now recall concerns itself with me and nothing else at all. Yesterday the moon was blue And every crazy day brought something new to do I used my magic age as if it were a wand And never saw the waste and emptiness beyond The game of love I played with arrogance and pride And every flame I lit too quickly The friends I made all seem somehow to drift away And only I am left on stage to end the play There are so many songs in me that won't be sung I feel the bitter taste of tears upon my tongue 
The time has come for me to pay for yesterday when I was young. Hey, I want you to sing our song. Where, oh, where are you tonight? Why did you leave me here all alone? I searched the world over and thought I found true love. You met another. You were gone. <laughs> I love you and I miss you too. Anytime you call me and I'll be singing your little heart out. Oh, I love you. I'll be singing my little heart out to you. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Have you ever lifted a piece of furniture and found the carpet underneath looks brand new while the rest of it looks, well not brand new that's when you realize you need new carpeting at the home depot we have a wide selection of all the top brands best of all we'll install it for you and even better than best of all we install it free so all you need to do is choose from our hundreds of styles and colors start your installation today at the home depot how doers get more done minimum purchase of 4.99 exclusions apply u.s only see store for details it's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.